get, kick off with a word of prayer and then get into our class today. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many blessings you give us, and we just thank you for the freedom and the opportunity that we have to come here and to study your word, to, to learn about you, and to take what we learn and, and take it out to the world. And, and the fact that we can do that freely, Lord, we just thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you be with us as we go through this class. Help me to kind of pre do a good job of getting out what I want to say uh, th for this class and just that we can use it to further the church and, and kind of put us where we need to be uh, in spreading your kingdom, Lord. And we just thank you for everything you do for us. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. All right, so as most of y'all know, I started teaching this class in June. I, well, I taught it for us for several weeks um, in 20, I think it was in 2018 for a little while. Um, we kind of looked at a breaking 200 type thing of some things we needed to look at. And then um, we looked at doing some changes. Dad wanted to kind of look for, at something different, and it was a good opportunity for me. I was looking to do something different, so we kind of switched, and I came in here. And I'm going to review real quick kind of what we've talked about uh, in the last six months. And what we've talked about in the last six months has not just been random. There, there's been a reason why we've been looking at it, why we've been talking about it. And, and so just to review real quick, the first thing we did was we took a hard look in the mirror, and that was the, what I called the, the breaking 200, the looking at the church, the seeing how we can make things better, where are we at, just kind of, you know, are we following things we need to be following correctly in the Bible, those kind of things. And then some of that was hard, I'll be honest with you, uh, looking at it, because it makes me look in the mirror, and I think it made some of you look in the mirror, and sometimes when we look in the mirror, we realize that we don't like what we see sometimes. But I think we've done a good job of correcting for that. You know, I think we still have a ways to go in some things, but I think that's the continuation process of being a Christian. We're always going to have room to grow. We're always going to have areas we need to, to grow in. The second thing we kind of went over and looked at was what we call the church. And then we also, around that, looked at biblical knowledge versus spiritual maturity. And we also talked about grace and truth in that, and when we talked about that as well. And, and the idea is there's, we can, sometimes you'll see a lot of biblical knowledge, but very little spiritual maturity. And, and so we need to make sure we have a, a, a good mix and, and a good knowledge of, of both. The second one was our responsibility. What is our responsibility as Christians to us, to the church, and to the outside world? And what kind of things should we be doing? What things should we be looking at? Uh, those type of things. Then we looked at the five fundamentals of Christianity. Uh, most of those, obviously the first one was becoming a Christian. Uh, in order to, the fundamentals of being a Christian is becoming one. And then we looked at some different things of, of giving and and, and volunteering and serving and, and those the different five areas there and kind of some things that we, we needed to focus on. And then the next thing we looked at was culture. And, and I think for some of you this may have been a culture shock, <laughs> um, especially when we started talking about the millennials and now the next generation that's coming up, Generation Z, and kind of where they are right now, where they're standing, how are we going to reach them, what is that going to look like, and, and those type of areas there. And then lastly, which was the longest of our, our series, we looked at the problem of God, which was looking at God from outside, from a skeptical view, from an outside view, uh, from a non-Christian view of what, what kind of issues people have with that. So 
what I wanted to do, and like I said, there's a reason why we've gone through all of these um, different subjects and, and spent the last six months talking about these things. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to wrap it up in a, in a, in a series. And, it's, and honestly, I'm going to say I have no clue how long this series is going to be. It could be a week that you guys don't like it and you're going to kick me out of here. Or it could, I mean, it could be six months. I mean, it's, it's going to really depend on how deep. I, I know the direction I want to go with it and the direction I want to push us as a class and as a, as a church with it. Uh, but it's just going to be dependent on if I can relay that, that, that thought and that message the way that I hope it comes across. And hopefully, once you guys see what I'm hope, presenting, I'm hoping that it will change you the way it's changed me. And, and there's some people in here who know um, a little more about what I've been doing over the last couple months, but actually the last couple years, and you know why I've been pushing in a lot of the directions that I've been pushing in. And so I'll, I'll be interested to see. So when I sat down to do this series, I had no idea what I was going to call it. There was a lot of different things that popped in my mind, and these were kind of a list of them. Unreasonable, talking about being an unreasonable church, being an irresistible church, being an impactful church, or being a radical church. And the, the more I thought about it, the more I was trying to, as I was putting my notes together and I was doing my research, I, I was like, what is it that I want to be or what do we want to show? And so finally it came down to this question. What was Jesus? Anyone want to answer that real quick before I go to what I called, the class, or called this series? What Jesus was? Teacher? God in the flesh? He was not status quo. That's probably the closest to what I came up with. He was new. And so I, I titled this new because it's taking everything that we've talked about over the last six months and showing and, and bringing, coming to the point of, and I titled it being the new that Jesus, I almost said was, but that would put him in past tense. And so I said being the new that Jesus is. And there's a reason I titled it that the way. Because I think that we've lost the newness that Jesus was in the first century church, or the first century, and then the newness that the first century church was. And we're going to look at that. And, and I go back to, and this is one of the verses that, that kind of come out, that, that stood out to me, is Revelations 21.5. And this is, he's talking to John. This is Jesus talking to John. And he, and he said, and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Now, if you actually look at this in the, in the Greek and how this is word, this isn't he has made all things new. He is in the process of still making all things new. So it's an ongoing process. It's still happening. It's going to continue to happen until he comes back. And then he said, and I think this is important. I think this is why he, he put it in here. Right, for these words are faithful and true. So he said, not only am I telling you, you make sure you write this down, because this is important. But, uh, and I was doing, looking at some of the commentary on this, and the idea of Christ making all things new when Jesus heard this, I mean, obviously, or I'm sorry, when John heard this, he was, I mean, obviously, he's in heaven. I mean, he's got a lot of crazy things going around and stuff he can't hardly describe, so he has to write it down in, in just ways we can try to understand it. But, but I, they, they say the reason that, they, that this is probably in there 
is because the idea of him still continuing to make all things new was still a pretty radical idea at the time. That, you know, in, in the way they, that done, the culture and the, and the things, they thought Christ was going to come and, and it was going to all be done at one time, not an ongoing process. So just kind of some, some background there. So what I want to look at today, and I've called it the current American version. And it's the current American version of Christianity. And we've kind of talked about this a little bit. Like I said, I'm going to try to be taking everything we've looked at and, and tied up. But if I were to ask you what the current American version of Christianity is, what would you say? Huh? Go to church on Sunday? Amber? Convenience? I like that answer. Entertainment? I think there's a lot of, I I think those are good. For the most part, and like I said, we've talked about this, for the most part, American Christianity has become internally focused. We focus on ourselves. We focus on what we want. It's, we, we have, we have tied to the American consumerism culture of me, 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 right? What is in it for me? What's there for me? All right? And not everyone, not all, but I'm saying for the most part, if you look at the American version of it, oh, for the most part, all right, we focus on things that Christ was not focused on, uh, physical stuff, uh, non-spiritual things, things honestly in the end that's going to be burnt up and not going to matter in the end anyways. We've lost a lot of our focus on the spirituality and of Christ and who he was. And, and so I kind of tried to sum it up in the fact that for the most part, it's very shallow. It's not very deep. All right, and, and our, our faith needs to be, and I like the, you know, we talk about the, the song deep and wide, right? We, we've, you know, we want our faith to be deep and wide, right? And, and that's where I think we need to try to get back to and look at. And so, I mean, if we look at, you know, Rosalie talked about making it more interesting. We've tried to make it more interesting, you know, with the bands, and I'm not here, but in, in Christianity and, and, and all these different things that we've tried to make it more interesting, more attractional. And the more we try to do that, the less people are interested in church. Huh? We, we said entertain. Okay, <laughs> we did. But here's the thing. This is the interesting thing. And as you look at when we look at all the stats that, we, that we've looked at, Jesus is still viewed very favorably in the world. When we look at the polls of the Generation Z and the Generation X and, and the Millennial Generations, they still have a favorable view of Jesus. What do they not have a favorable view of? His body. You know, and, and uh, some of that's our own fault. Some of it is the culture that we live in. So, so don't get me, you know, I'm not saying it's 100% us, but it kind of boils down to the, like, well, we, we like the head, but we just don't want to look at your body. Right, we don't want to have anything to do with that. And I think there's multiple reasons that when we've looked at that. But to sum all of this up, I would say that the current American version of Christianity really is not working. Would anyone disagree with that? And I'm open to I'm open to comment back. Steve, Steve's over there, he's squirming. He's like, uh oh.
Exactly. I, I agree with that, but I, I think that's been the case from day one. And and so I mean, if we go back and and we're and we're going to go back, it's going to be an interest. But if we look from day one, you know, we and we can say, and, and I'm I'm guilty of this too. Well, the media they attack us. It's the media's fault. We don't, you know, it's these. We don't live in you know in the time where we were a Christian culture and we were a Christian America, right? When the when the media for the most part was on our side. But if you actually go back and look at the first century church, they had not only did they have people attacking them. They had two of the largest powers at the time trying to destroy them. And when I say that, it's not like what we see in America today where they'll talk bad about us and say some hateful things about us. They were literally going out and killing them and feeding them to lions and gutting them in an arena and cheering about it. So that's why I say if their version of Christianity was spreading, then we're going to look at that, and we look at the freedoms and we look at everything that we have, the opportunities we have, it's not working because in, in this current, and Nathan said this um, in his lesson the other day, he said we should be better actually than the first century church because of everything we have. Uh, the, we have a Bible. They didn't have a Bible. We're going to look at that. We have all, I mean, we have the freedoms. We have the, so when we should be exploding like crazy. I mean, it should be it just, it, this should be easy. But I, we're going to look at some of the things of why it's not, and what we need to do to make it to where it does explode and take off. So let's go back and look at the first century church real quick. All right, so what did they have? So the first century century church, Jesus died somewhere estimated between 30 and 33 A.D. Most of the books of the Bible were written either 30 to 100 years after that. I'm sorry, 30 to 70 years after that. So they didn't have the Bible like we see it today. In fact, we're going to look at the, the Bible that we have today. didn't really start to come around until it's, it's actually it's a pretty new concept in, in, the, in this timeline of Christianity. They went from 120 people estimated from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven to the year 200 A.D. or around 200 and 200 years, they were over a million. And how was most of this done? Word of mouth. Like I said, they had a few of the letters. They had a few, but most of those weren't written. Like I said, most of those weren't written until 30 years after the fact. At least 30 years. That's the newest ones. And then some of them were 70 years later. So you're looking at 100 A.D. before all the letters in the New Testament were completely written. But yet they continue to grow. And so we can find the first that they know of, that they've been able to find, the first entirely new, I'm sorry, completed New Testament in Greek was around 360 A.D. The complete English version of the Bible was uh, put in around 1500 A.D. So you're looking at, really, two-thirds of our Christian history, they didn't have what we know as the Bible. They had letters. They had some things put together. They had things they were... Most of it was word of mouth. And then you get into the Catholic Church, Catholicism. They locked the Bible down. Then they killed people for printing the Bible and so or translating to English. But that's a whole, whole other thing. 
So everyone's like, okay, Chad, what's your point? My point is the 120 people grew the church. Well, let me put it this way. God grew the church through 120 people into millions during a time when the two most powerful institutions in our history, besides, well, in, I'm sorry, in, in world history at that time, you had the Roman Empire who basically had conquered most of the world, and you had the Jewish um, religious, at the time, the, their institution at the time, which was extremely powerful. We, I, we, and we're going to look at that. We don't realize how powerful they were, how rich they were, and how much influence they had sometimes. Both of them were trying to stop it, and stop it, like I said, by killing them. It wasn't, uh, well, you need to stop doing this. We're going we're to spread bad news about you and say bad things about you on the news or in the public square. We're going to drag you into the public square, and we're going to cut your head off. But yet they still continue to grow into the millions. And then if you look at from 200 into the 360s, and see this, and honestly, this is probably one of the worst things that happened to Christianity. In the 300s, the Roman Empire legalized Christianity. And that's when churches started being built. They took the, you know, they would take crypts and they would take, you know, symbol things and they turned them into churches. And that's where people stopped. People stopped meeting in homes and they stopped, you know, going and spreading the, the, the word underground and it would come into the public. And then that's when, I, in the 300s, would, when we'd say that's when we probably started the whole, the church movement, the church building movement and, and started meeting in public and doing these things where we, made it a, 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 I'm not word I'm looking for here, an official type ceremonial type thing. Right? Church before then was meet, getting together, meeting in people's houses, discussing the word. Right? They, they had letters they could know. They would discuss it. They would talk about it. And so, and here's where I might get in trouble. But, you know, one of our big aspects of the Church of Christ is, is we are the restored New Testament church from back then. We are, the, we are a duplication or a, as best as we can, we have restored the New Testament church to its existence. And to that I would say we're not even close. And there's a reason why. And some of y'all are going to be like, well, Chad, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have the scriptural name. We have the scriptural organizational structure. We only go by the Bible. We're non-denominational. We're not part of a sect. We're not grouped into a denomination. We do communion every Sunday. We sing a cappella music, and we follow the five steps of salvation. Does that not make us the Church of Christ? Now, I'm not going to say that these things aren't important, because I think they are. A lot of this stuff's important. But here's what I think. We have become so focused on how to do church that we have forgotten and lost our focus on how to be the church. <laughs> I mean, anyone want to argue with me on that? Huh? Oh, maybe? Okay, and that's what we're about to do. Okay. I, I, I say that and I, before anyone gets off, I'm saying, man, Chad's really gone off the rocker on this one. There's a reason why I'm saying this, and there's a reason I'm pa I've become so passionate about this. Because up to a couple years ago, this idea of the first century church 
and the duplication of it, I was all about. Well, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. So, you know, we are, we just, we've, 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 we've tacked on to the things that we think God wants us to do for him, but we've forgotten a lot of things that God as a church has told us to do and to be. And so we're going to look at that. Yes. I would agree with that. I would agree that our, and I'm going to tie into some other things too. I think our, there's that, the freedoms we have. But also, I, I, I will say, and I might get in trouble with this one too, the American dream that we have, which is not a bad thing, don't get me wrong. I mean, we have the American dream. We have the, but the American dream is if I work hard and I do everything and I, I pull myself up by the bootstraps, I can be successful no matter what. And we've applied that to Christianity. But that's not what we should be applying to Christianity. Christianity should be, yes, I'm going to work hard, but I want all my power to come through God. And for him to, to do through me, and we've lost that. We've lost the idea of taking God and doing wonderful things, having him do wonderful things through us. And we've taken it to, well, I'm going to do wonderful things for Christianity. I'm going to do wonderful things for the church, and God's going to bless it. And when it should be, God's going to bless me by doing everything through me. Mm -hmm. Yep. We we don't yeah, we don't. Yeah, right? We we very rarely does the church step out on faith anymore. It's we gotta have all of our ducks in a row. We have to now there's some there's a biblical concept there. You know, we obviously we shouldn't just say, okay, we're gonna go get a fifteen million dollar loan and build, you know. There's some come, but a lot of the things that we we do, we, we don't step out on on faith anymore. And and I, I I'll say this because I got the list of everyone when I first started this class, right? Of the things that we wanted to do, and, and they weren't bad things, but that there are things like, well, I need to be able to learn how to do this first, or I need to be able to learn how to do this before I talk to someone. Or I, what happened to uh, look, you know? I'm going to go do this. God worked through me to do it. And so that's the kind of stuff that I want us to get us back to, and um, for us to look at. And so, all right, so I've said all that. So what does the way forward look like? What, what does us, you know, what, what is it? And this is where I'm going to go into, and this is, this is where you guys can see if I'm crazy or not. Well, most of y'all know I probably am anyway, so that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I come by it on us, right? All right, so the way forward, it's going to be simple, but at the same time, some of you may not like it, and some of you may even, it may even be a little controversial, but we'll see. I'm not going to try to be. The solution is very simple. It's in the Gospels and it's in the Epistles of Paul. And we're going to look at that. We know it works because I've just talked about the fact that it worked. And we saw, saw where it worked. And it worked with 120 people who turned it into millions in a couple of years. I'm sorry, in, a couple, in about a century or two. So... Like I said, what I, well, I feel like what we're doing right now isn't working. I'm not saying all of it's not working. I'm not saying we're just a complete broken-down machine. But, but we definitely need to, and this is what I'm going to suggest. 
hit the pause button on everything you've learned through your entire childhood, through your adulthood, all right? Take everything that we've learned from the Stone and the Campbell Restoration Movement and listen carefully, put it on pause, take it, and set it over here for a minute. I'm not saying throw it away. I'm saying we're going we're to come back to it. Just set it over here for a minute. All right? Let's look at, let's really look at, if we're going to be claimed to be the first century church, let's really look at it. All right, let's look at what they did, who they were. Let's get to understand, and this is the key, let's get to understanding the new that Jesus was and why he was so new and why he was so radical for that time. Because I don't think a lot of times we understand the culture and the times that he came into why he picked the time that he came into, and what he did while he was there. So my thought is we're going to get a clean slate down to the foundation of Jesus Christ, right? That should be our foundation. foundation of our Christianity should be Jesus, not the things we do for Jesus, not the things that we do when we worship him. Those our foundation should be Jesus, and let's go back to that. And then let's get back to the point of where religious leaders, because you've got to realize when Christ came in, what he did, he, came, he turned everything upside down so much that the religious leaders of that day, the, the, they wanted to kill him. I mean, straight up kill him. So I don't know. I'm hoping that what we, if we do this, that the religious leaders of today don't want to kill us. But I think if we, if we, if we really looked at it and we really dive, dive deep into it, like I hope we can, then you're going to come out the other side saying, okay, we need to do some, some different things, and we'll see. All right, so with all that said, I, I, this is the thing. This is not just me coming up on a whim. It's not, I didn't read a book yesterday and say, hey, you know what, we really need to talk about this. How, do you all remember when I did, and, I, and this, I'm not trying to make this about me, but I want you to get an understanding where I'm coming from. Do you all remember when I did my first Devo? All right, what did I look like when I got out? It was five years ago. Right? I was scared to death. I hate getting up in front of people and talking. I, I'm better at it. I, I say I'm better at it. I feel like I'm better at it now. Let me, let me, I don't feel like my heart's going to hit the back wall. All right, I can stand a little bit. I still move around, and I think I make Dorothy dizzy. But <laughs> um, I started doing some research, and I started looking into the church and church growth and just, just diving in. I'm, that's my, my mentality. I have an engineering mindset. I've talked about that. I love to see how things work. I want to know why this, why are these things work? Why did this work back then? And the more I looked, the more I didn't like what I saw. And and that wasn't then that doesn't have to say anything about anyone in here or anyone who's run the church. It's just I think we've allowed way too many things to influence us, even in in the Church of Christ. And so I actually even went back to school. Uh, I've been going through through Bible classes. I'm not completely done with it. It was a it's a four say all that because I've become changed my entire, my mindset, my focus, my drive to, to what I wanted to always try to improve on and better. It's just changed a lot. It's changed my heart in a lot of ways. And it's made me see that the person I was seven or eight years ago, I really did not like. Now, I wasn't a bad person. I think I was a pretty nice person then. 
But the things I was focused on and the things I was pushing and the things that I was paying attention to and the things that I was trying to drive had nothing really to do with Jesus and what he wanted. And so this is what I want to do and try to, I want you guys to see what I've, what I've been through. And that's part of why we've been going through the classes we've been going through. All right, because a lot of that's the same stuff that I've looked at and researched. But this last piece, I, I hope we'll tie it all together and bring it to, I hope it does the same thing for you that it did for me. I mean, that's, that's, that's all I can say. And, and like I said, I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to do anything way, way out there. I mean, really, it's, it's going back to the basics of the Bible. I mean, it's just really going back to the basics. And that's my plan. So, for us to understand the new Jesus, or the new of Jesus that he brought, what do you have to know, or, or look at, and understand, before you study the new, and understand what it replaced? The old. All right. So let's look at the old. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back almost to the beginning. And I'm going to summarize some stuff. But I'm going to go through it quickly. I'm not, I don't mean to be dismissive of any of it. You know, but we could go through the entire Bible and we'd be here for five years. I want to get to, through the main points of the main events that happened in the Old Testament. And, and hopefully get a, maybe a little un, better understanding around them. Sometimes I think we, we go through and read it, but a lot of times I think we don't really get dive deep into what some of these things actually meant. And look at the context of them. So, would everyone agree with this statement that ancient, ancient Israel was a means to an end? Huh? Say no. <laughs> that's, that's a good um, I guess that way it was. It was a means to an end, but then to the new, right? It was a means to the new. Well, well that's a good. I wasn't thinking that when I when I put that. But in the in a, in, a, in reality, Israel itself was God's means of I, I say to an end, but to to a beginning is a better statement of bringing Christ into the world. He brought Israel about in order to bring Christ into the world. And so, if we look in Genesis twelve verses one through three. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Everyone in here knows who Abraham is, right? Okay, so he kept that promise. He's known. And I like this verse, and I like what trans... Some people put families. I, I like... Uh, I think the NIV puts peoples. It says, In you, all the families or peoples of the earth will be blessed. And that happened, and we're going to look at that. But here's the thing we've got to look at. This had to have sounded ridiculous to Abraham. All right, so he's one person with a wife... A little bit of a, some camels and sheep or goats, whatever they had. All right? He's 99 years old, and he couldn't have kids. And God comes to him and says, I'm going to bless all other nations through you. Now, that was a foreign concept at the time, too, because nations at that time did not bless other nations. What did they do? They conquered, right? They may make treaties with, 
that did some quid pro quo stuff. Okay, I won't kill you as long as you don't try to kill me. But the idea was not to go around and bless other nations. So that, you know, sometimes I think that's one of those things we don't really uh, look at too. So what was happening? What, who was he blessed with? Isaac. All right? So he's blessed with Isaac. There's a, another story around that. You know, where I'm not going to go into all the, the things, but we know that they did it, and they settled in Egypt, right? So what happened? They settled in Egypt. Uh, his, his group that, you know, he started having children, he, he, all these things. His group settled in Egypt. What happened in Egypt? Fast forward several centuries or several generations. They became a huge, they, they settled in Egypt, and then they became a nation of, of themselves inside of Egypt. What did Egypt do? Make them slaves. It's up there. There you go. <laughs> Egypt said, hey, this is all this free labor. We're going to take advantage of this. And so that happened for several generations until they were very large. So, enter Moses. Moses comes along. Jesus goes to him, tells him to go and talk to Pharaoh. Well, and Pharaoh says what? Let my people go. And he did after some persuasion. All right? He was persuaded a little bit. But here's the thing we got to look at in, in this, in this the, with the plagues and everything. In this, and this is going to be unique to this time, one, their God was invisible. That was unheard of in that time, to not have some sort of physical representation of your God. He was mobile. And he demonstrated his power over all the main gods of Egypt at that time. So that's why everyone's like, well, why would they have let him go? They let all those people go. You have to understand that this, this, this whole thing, you know, they worship, they, these were gods to them, you know, the gods of the water and the gods of the sun and, and all these things. I mean, they were important. And, you know, Moses walks in there and just says, okay. And, you know, they black out the sun. They, they turn your water into red. They bring all these insects and all this stuff and disease and basically just decimates all the other gods that are around there and says, oh, and shows that they were. So, like I said, they were. But here's the interesting thing. So I think a lot of times we think, okay, well, he just said go, and they kind of left, right? Egypt was plundered, right? So not only did, they, did, did Moses come and take his entire workforce, they took a lot of stuff with them when they left. Gold, I mean, so you, they basically conquered and took the, the, the most powerful country at the time and just left with all their stuff. And then <laughs> the pharaohs started realizing, oh, man, what have I done here? He's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to send my army. We're going to go get it back. So not only <laughs> does that happen, they take all your stuff, then he wipes out your entire army, just like that. And so this stuff was, was, unheard, this was unheard of in this day. And so we have to realize how big of an impact and how much this would have, would have spread. And, and, and would have so God shows his power. He shows his mobility. That's the important thing I want you to focus on is the mobility part, the mobility. Because we're going to get to that in the end of how mobile and mobility of God. Because back then, in that time, God, the gods weren't mobile. They, they had a place where they stayed. They had an idol for them, and that's where they stayed, and that's where they were. All right, so we go fast forward a couple months to Mount Sinai. In the Ten Commandments. This is Exodus 19 through about Numbers 10 in the Bible. 
the Moses goes up to the Mount Sinai. God gives him, well, I'm sorry. Actually, first, God tells the Ten Commandments to the people, and they don't want to hear it because they're afraid that they're going to die from hearing God's voice. But anyways, they come up with, like, what was the very first ten, of the Ten Commandments? What was the very first one? Thou shalt have no gods above me. Again, this, and you've got to realize, this was a strange concept to them, even to the, the, the Jewish people at that time. They weren't really the Jewish people yet. So what happens one month later? About a month later. Huh? Aaron, and what happens? What do they do? They make a golden calf. So you have Jesus tell, or I'm sorry, God tell them the very first commandment, and then, a, and then they don't want to hear it. They want you know, Moses to interpret for them because they're afraid that they're going to die from hearing God's voice. Then they turn around a month later and make a golden calf and start worshiping it because, well, Moses has been up there for 30, 40 days. He's never coming back. So that, that seems completely ludicrous to us, right? Like, why would we do it? But you have to understand, in that day, they didn't know anything else, all right? Them worshiping an idol is as foreign to us as us worshiping an invisible God. And so, anyways, to summarize all this up, the Ten Commandments, and this is something I didn't realize. Do you know how long they were at Sinai? A long time. It was like over a year, uh, maybe even two. I can't. I don't have the exact timeline. But they were there for a while. I'm, my thought is like they're moving through the desert the entire time. But no, they actually sat. And so, let me ask this question: Does anyone know how many times Moses went up to Mount Sinai, the top of it? Eight times. He ascended a mountain eight times. I didn't realize that. That was something new. Because what was he getting from God? Huh? The law. So Moses ascends this, and this is over a four-month time frame. He spends 30 days up there, 30 days at a time up there sometimes, getting the law that is Exodus through Numbers and Deuteronomy and some other stuff that gets expounded upon. All right? And then we get the tabernacle. So he comes down, came down. What was in the tabernacle? Now, it wasn't an idol. Does anyone remember what was in the tabernacle and what its purpose was? The tablets were there. What, was, what, what were the tablets in? Ark of the Covenant. There you go. All right, and so God... So they build this, this tabernacle that, that God gave them in specific instructions on how to do. And then God comes and took up residence in there, and we're going to look at that in just a second. So like he said, he put it, this was anything. So when you be, usually build a tabernacle, and it's like, what would you take and put inside that tabernacle? In, in that day, in the other... They would put the image, so they would put the golden calf, or they'd put the eye of the God. They would put the God, they would set the God in there. What did God do? And this is important, and this is why I'm asking these things, and this is why I'm asking it the way I am. 
God came down and he, with his spirit and he filled the tabernacle, right? In that inner room. He filled it with his glory, his presence, and he did it on his terms. So let's look, let's look at this verse real quick. Exodus 40, verses 34 through 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of a meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of God filled the tabernacle. All right, so I want to I wanna go back to something real quick. The contract. All right, so God, the, the, the reason, and just like any lawyer negotiations today, it takes a long time to get the agreement signed and filled out and, and, and in existence, right? So that's why Christ, you know, God was founding a new nation of his people. And so he spent time with Moses, four months about, setting this contract up, what we call the, the Old Covenant, and setting the terms. The Ten Commandments, so this is the other thing. The Ten Commandments were more than just the Ten Commandments. It turned into about 600 different things that they had to go by. All right, and it was called, and I'm going to try to get this. I practiced it a million times last night. A, a suzerainty treaty. Anyone know what that is? Anyone ever heard of that? Basically, it's a treaty or an agreement where a larger power sets the terms for someone in a lower state. It's the form of an agreement used by non-equal parties where defining the terms and conditions of their relationship, the greater power, the suzerain, dictates terms to the lesser powers, the vassal. If we look at Exodus 34, Verses 27, it said, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write these down, write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. And if we look at it, they are repeated and built upon through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's the entire contract of God's agreement with, the, with his people at the time. If we look, at Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6, he says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on the eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So basically he said, I will as long as you do keep my commandments and I'll keep you safe. If you wanted to sum up the, all that, that's kind of what it boiled down to. You worship me, you stay true to me, you keep this contract, then things will go well for you. If you don't, things will go bad. And I'm going to stop there. Next week we're going to we'll continue on. And we're going to get to the, we're going to look several generations later, and then we're going to look where, at the, where it's time for kings. And we'll continue there. Thank you. Thank you.